This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, it's week 13 and we still have teams that have only played seven games. Chaka Bainbridge stops by to talk life as a regional attorney and the NLL alumni, plus Billy D. Smith, D. coach of the Thunderbirds as they look to rebound against the Rock. All that and more on OTCB. Cross fans and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple iTunes, Mars, a galaxy far, far away, and of course on the Lacrosse Flash, where you should be getting all of your updated information on what's going around the National Lacrosse League. You could also find the latest edition of the Strip Podcast with that damn Adelphi Panther, Adam Levy. He joined Tyson and Colt on the podcast this week. It's a really good listen from a different perspective because most of the guests, if not all of them, are all NLL guys currently playing or myself, a former player. Adam's never played the game. He's only watched it from afar and covered it for the past handful of years for the National Lacrosse League. So he has a very different perspective on the sport and how to get us where we need to get to. And it is a very, very good listen. Again, even if he is an Adelphi Panther. Moving on, my name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Two great guests this week and two longtime friends of the show. We'll hear from Chaka Bainbridge, a regional attorney in the National Lacrosse League. And if you don't know what a regional attorney is, just think player agent. NLL doesn't like to use that word, so they're called regional attorneys. And he has been in this league for quite some time, representing the best of the best. But he's also paired up with Brad MacArthur, who we had on the show last month, in helping to form the NLL Alumni Association. And many people are still kind of unsure of what the association is going to do, who it's going to benefit, how to be involved. So we go through a lot of that stuff with Chaka, plus what it's like when you have two players that you represent on the same team vying for the same position and arguably the same kind of money. How do you deal with that as a regional attorney? How do you put one guy's needs in front of another? How do you argue for two guys who want the same kind of money and the same position? So we'll have a great chat with Chaka. Uh, We'll let you hear that. In a little bit, we'll again give you more information on the NLL alumni and life around Chaka. Also be joined by Billy D. Smith, a.k.a. BDS. And he and the Halifax Thunderbirds lost a tough one, a tough one, to the Saskatchewan Rush in Week 12. And if you have not watched that game, I highly suggest you go back, 
Put it to the fourth quarter, halfway through the third. And just watch the rest of the game and how intense it gets. And how fantastic that crowd is. Even though their team is down 12-4 at one point in that game. They stayed. They cheered. They inspired their team to come all the way back from down 8 to force overtime. And then both teams score overtime goals that get called back. And then Mike Messenger scores the winner on a transition crease dive as the Rush sneak away with a very important win in the mainland. On the mainland? No, that's not the mainland. That is the, where is that? That's the Maritimes. Mainland's out here in BC. They steal a win on the Maritimes. And that is a huge win for them because it continues to push them further and further ahead of the other four teams in the Western Division. Solidifying their spot as the number one team in the West. The number three seed going into the playoffs. Actually, they're the number two seed going into the playoffs. So it was a fantastic game. We'll break it down for you, and we'll set you up for week 13 here in the NLL. But again, just wanted to let you know what's coming up on this week's show. So let's go back to week 12 in the National Lacrosse League. You had six games, five on Saturday, one on Sunday. Philadelphia Buffalo play a 7-6 nail-biter in front of 12,500 fans. No Dane Smith, no Chase Fraser, two major losses. And there were even rumblings from some circles that Matt Vince wasn't going to be able to play in that game and that Devlin Shanahan was going to get his first start after the Bandits moved Doug Bucket to the IR. But Vino was there, but they just didn't have the firepower that they're used to. And Philadelphia, who continues to impress, take a 7-6 win, and get this, are now first place in the East. They've gone from basement dwellers as an expansion club to a team that is 7-3 and and atop the Eastern Division. They have a game lead on Georgia, game and a half on New England, and we can pretty much say New York is out of it. So it is a three-team race in the East for those two positions. It is going to go down to the wire. And every game is going to be vital down the stretch. Philadelphia's played 10. Georgia's played 8. New England has only played 7 games. They are about to play their sixth game of a six-game homestand. And if you go back to the start of the season in one of the early podcasts, I said on this show that there is a chance that after that homestand that they could be 6-2. and two. They're not going to be 6-2. and two. They're 4-3 at best. 
When they play Rochester this weekend, the best they will be is 5-3. and three. That's not terrible. But when you looked at where they were the start of the season and that Red Hearts hot start they got off to, you kind of thought that they'd be doing a little better. But things haven't gone their way. And remarkably, Paul Day, Tracy Kluski, and Ian Rubel have turned that Philadelphia team into a bit of a juggernaut. I said this on the rundown with Devin Caney this week. I think you have to put Zach Higgins in the conversation for MVP, if not goalie of the year. His numbers are quite remarkable between the pipes. He's second, actually tied for first with goals against at 8.78, tied with Nick Damut. But Damut has played a third of the minutes that Higgy has. Higgins has a .828 save percentage. That is the highest in the entire National Cross League right now. He's got seven wins. He's played the second most minutes. And he has the highest save percentage and essentially the best goals against. How do you not put him in those categories for MVP and goalie of the year? You have to. And for the Wings... As mentioned, a big game this weekend against the Saskatchewan Rush, Saturday, 7 p.m. Eastern. We'll get to that. Let's get back to week 12. Georgia hosts New England in front of reported 8,500 fans down in Georgia. And they beat them 14-9. Again, New York just continuing to struggle They just do not have the firepower yet. They do not have the weapons. They do not have the chemistry. They do not have the goaltending to be a complete or a competitive team in the NLL right now. They are struggling. They're going to continue to struggle. It could be a long final eight games for the New York Riptide. In one of the two Alterna Cup battles over the weekend, Toronto doubled up. Vancouver 14 to 7 and Vancouver just they have impressed over the last few weeks. They have been playing some fantastic lacrosse. Eric Penny has been remarkable between the pipes. Mitch Jones has been carrying that team on his back like Atlas carrying the world. But Toronto could be the hottest team in the National Lacrosse League right now. 6 and 2 over the last 10 they've won 3 straight. They are tied for top in the North, so tied for number one overall. And they put a good beating, I don't call it beating, but they doubled up Vancouver 14-7 and had control of that game the whole way. I'm going to save Halifax, Saskatchewan for a minute because there's some things we need to talk about in that game. Uh, Colorado got some revenge on San Diego in front of 11,000 people down in Denver. Bit of a small crowd, uh, but take into account that the stadium series was being played at the Air Force Base between the Colorado Avalanche and the LA Kings. 
And if you haven't heard some of the nightmare stories coming out of that game of people dealing with traffic, getting in and out of the airbase and to the stadium, it was a nightmare. People missed half the game. People were offering money for hitchhike rides to get out of the area just because lineups were two hours long. It was gross. And unfortunately, it took away some fans from the Colorado Mammoth. But that was an incredible game. Highlighted by one of the greatest saves I've ever seen from Dylan Ward, who continually makes that save look routine on a game-to-game basis. And with that win, it put Colorado back into second place in the West. And that's going to happen pretty much the rest of the way out West. Until teams start to catch Saskatchewan, if the rush start to lose some games, San Diego, Vancouver, Calgary, Colorado will continually flip-flop spots in that West. It's a two-game gap between Saskatchewan and the second-place tie of Colorado and Calgary. Two and a half to get to Vancouver, and then three games to San Diego. So there's going to be a lot of movement in the West. And I was always of the mind that one of the two wildcard seeds would come from the Western Division. I'm not so sure on that now. Because if just going on winning percentages, Colorado's a sub-500 team. And overall, that puts them one, two, three, four, five, six. That puts them as the eighth best team. But if the playoffs were to start, they would be the sixth seat. Which is just crazy to think of. But that's the way these playoffs are going to work. So that means that number two spot in the West is going to be highly, highly coveted. Philadelphia had a tough back-to-back. They beat Buffalo 7-6 on Saturday. They have to take a roughly eight-hour bus ride or so from Buffalo to New England. Take on a rested and waiting Black Wolf squad in front of 5,400 people. And they, again, come away with another impressive victory. 14-11 over the Black Wolves. Zach Higgins, two back-to-back stellar games. Matt Rambo was phenomenal over the two games. I think he had eight goals combined. And when you can get a team to play two of the best teams in the league and come away with victories on back-to-back nights with a long bus ride road trip in the middle, you know you're doing something right. Whether it's preparation, whether it's planning, whether it's meal prep, whether it's rest, whether it's coaching, whatever it is. What this Philadelphia team has been able to do in the span of one year has been phenomenal. I continue to say I think you put Micah Kersey up in the chat for coach of the year. I think Paul Day has to be right alongside him. Because what Paul Day has been able to do in the span of one year, go back and think of where Philadelphia was this time last year. So if you go back and look, at this point last year, 
They had played 10 games. They were 2-8. and eight, And six of those eight losses were by two goals or less. And now, a complete year later, they are 7-3. and three, And their goal differential is 24. Plus 24. So those one goal games that they were losing, those two goal games that they were losing, that is not happening anymore. A year later, a year wiser, a year smarter, and a year more contained, and a year with Tendy Bear, Philadelphia Wings have to be one of the stories of the year. And I love everything that Paul Day is doing and what that group is doing. And they have a massive test this weekend against Saskatchewan. Massive. It will be a real telling sign of if this Philadelphia team is for real or not when they take on the rush. Speaking of the rush, let us all go back to Saturday in Halifax. As I mentioned, at one point, it was 12-4 to for the rush. Warren Hill didn't look like himself at all. The worst game we've seen from him all season. And they finally had to go to Pete Dubinsky, who hadn't had a minute of play during the regular season. And even when Pete came into the game, he struggled early on. And the rush continued to roll. But somewhere within that locker room, within that group, somebody spoke up and sparked the troops. Might have been a Kersey. Might have been our guest, Billy D. Smith. Might have been Cody Jameson. Probably was Cody Jameson. Players will run through a wall for that guy when he speaks. But they started to claw back. They started to get goals past Evan Kirk. They got some lucky bounces. They got some power play markers. Austin Shanks started to become unconscious. By the way, that goal where he broke Evan Kirk's ankles on the pump fake and then essentially had a wide open net to score was one of the grossest fakes I've ever seen. And it was on an outside shot. When was the last time you saw a goaltender bite that hard on an outside shot that he fell down? I don't think I really have ever seen that. And so they continued to claw back and they got the crowd into it. And in those final few minutes of regulation, I wasn't there, but as you watch that game, you can just hear how loud it is as Pete Dalladay and Pat Gregor try and call the action. And with every goal, the intensity grew and the crowd noise heightened. And then they get the game-tying goal with about 30 seconds remaining. Jameson looks, there's the pass, there's a shot! Shanks 
too sure what your off-season plans are, but you should start thinking about running for mayor of Halifax because the Nets just fell in love with this kid. Bar down shot, extra attacker out, tie ball game, his fourth of the game, and the roof here in the Nets nearly just popped off. There is no quit in this team. They will not give up. A fantastic call from Pete Dalladay and Pat Gregoire. And SPG is starting to become my favorite color guy in the fact that he just continually finds these hilarious one-liners for guys. And it could be situational, it could be more player-specific, but he's always got some line. And I'm not one for corny, forced, comedic jokes. But when Patty does it, it just makes me giggle all the way home. So great call from from Pete and Pat in what was a phenomenal end to regulation. Now, when they go to overtime, I don't want to spend too much time on this because we want to get to Chalk of Bainbridge and we've got to get to Billy D. But the overtime goal by Ben McIntosh should have counted. And when you go back and watch that play, three things happen. And they all go towards that goal counting. So when Ben McIntosh goes for that rebound off the boards, his footsteps in the crease, yes. He never has possession, never touches the ball, but his foot does step in the crease. The ball then bounces and is picked up by Matt Hosick, who goes around the net, trying to create space, but is then stripped of the ball. And the ball hits the turf. And in that process, Jake Withers goes to pick it up. And as he gets it in his stick, his stick is immediately checked by Hasek. The ball goes off the end boards right to McIntosh, who beats Dubensky. Now, if you go back and you listen to Todd LeBranch discuss with Chris Corbeil his ruling, and you can hear him say that McIntosh was the first person to touch it after he went through the crease. Now, in the ruling, he goes through the crease, Hossack picks it up. If Hossack would have passed it directly to McIntosh, then it wouldn't have been a goal. But because Hossack A loses possession, Withers then B touches it, before it goes off the boards to Ben McIntosh, it should nullify the crease infraction by Benny Mac, making him a legal player to touch that ball. If Saskatchewan would have gone on to lose that game, this moment becomes a larger talking point. Cody Jameson's goal earlier was called back because of a 30-second violation, which was clear and obvious, and that was the right call. This one on the McIntosh goal, I feel it was the wrong call. It should have been a goal. McIntosh should have gotten the winner. And I just don't think Todd LeBranch took Withers into account in watching the replay. For Saskatchewan's sake, it eventually worked out the right way. As the kids say, the ball don't lie. 
But that could have been a major argument for the Saskatchewan Rush had they gone on to lose that game. But they didn't. And it was arguably one of the best games of the year. And again, if you haven't watched it, I highly recommend you go back and watch that game. If you've been listening to the show for the last number of years that we've been doing it, you know the name Chaka Bainbridge. If you don't, he is a regional attorney to the stars, as they say. He represents some of the best of the best in our sport. He even represents some of the best of the best in other sports as well. And he has a great insight on what it's like to deal with general managers and negotiate contracts and understand where this league is going through expansion, the CBA, and all those things. But he's also joined up with Brad MacArthur to help start the NLL Alumni Association. Now this would run in conjunction with the NLL and in conjunction with the PLPA to help keep former players involved in the game. Every pro sport league has it. There is the NFL, NHL, MLB, NBA alumni. And they have events. They have awards. They have gatherings. They have a community of players, former and people who are general managers, people who had business interests in the league. There is a large investment in the alumni association for all these sports and I think this has been something that's been needed because there is a bit of a drop-off once guys aren't involved directly in the league anymore to keep them involved and sure many guys have become coaches scouts the odd broadcaster but there are far too many that are just I don't want to say ignored but just have fallen out of touch with the National Lacrosse League. Don't go to games. Don't follow it. Don't know who the top players are. And what needs to be done is we need to bring all those alumni together in a big happy circle and keep everybody connected. So the NLL Alumni Association has been kicked off in the last couple of months. Brad MacArthur, a few other former NLLers, and our next guest, Chaka Bainbridge. We begin our conversation catching up from the last time we saw each other, which was at the NLL draft in Philadelphia. And Chaka was a busy man as he had a lot of vested interest in some of the names that were called by the commissioner. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was, a, that was obviously an exciting night. I had a few, few guys get drafted pretty high in, in, that, uh, in that night. They're all doing well. So uh, it's been an exciting season watching uh, the new teams and the new players. Uh, do well. It's been like I, I, I feel like the season's been like a roller coaster. Like out of the gate, I thought no one was going to touch New England, and now I, I couldn't tell you who I'd say pick to be a winner. Yeah, the yeah. team you announced for is looking pretty good. Every other game, it, it seems they look pretty good. It's it has been a, a crazy season. The new division alignments um, have created a lot more rivalries and intensity within the division. So I think. As we move on, you know, now we're week 13. It's getting every game means that much more. I want to go back to the draft. And, and as a regional attorney, how do you approach guys to come under your umbrella? Or do they approach you? Yeah, I think it's, it's both. It's both 
those things you said. I I, I tend to watch. I, I'm just like a lacrosse junkie. I feel like you know that about me. I whenever I I live in Miami, but when I go home, uh, home being to Ontario in the summers, I I go and watch lacrosse games. I, I don't care who really is playing. Uh, this where they are in the standings. I just I like watching lacrosse. So obviously the games that have um, prospects for the upcoming draft in, I, I take note of those and try and get out and see with my own two eyes uh, the players that people like yourself and others uh, rate or, or, or write about. Um, and then if I see someone that I think that person's good and I don't know them at all, I usually have a person I currently represent or have represented in the past on one of those teams. And I usually kind of reach out to them through someone, you know, someone I, I know or I represent. Um, and then there are, there are occasions where people reach out to me because they've asked around and they've talked to someone that I'd like to hope most guys would say I've done a good job for them. Maybe not all of them. I don't know, but, uh, <laughs> But yeah, that's basically how uh, I either reach out or on, on the off time, people uh, reach out to me as well. How many guys do you have in, in your stable right now, lacrosse guys? Because I know you represent athletes in other sports as well. Yeah, so, wow, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I, I want to say probably active, on active rosters right now, I would say probably about maybe between 25 and 30, somewhere in there, I think. Maybe a bit more, to be honest, Teddy. I, I'm trying to count them as I just talk to you. And it's, <laughs> there's too many. There's too many to keep me track of. But um, actually, a good friend of mine retired from from uh, uh, representing representing uh, players. And uh, so this season's been a weird transition because a bunch of players that he represented, he reached out to them and was like, hey, you know, here's chalk his number, give him a call. And some of them are currently under contract already. So it's like, do I represent them or not? But it's sort of like a rotating, rotating number. I would say 30 is a, is a guess, a close guess. As, as this league continues to expand, how has your role in, in become more important to the players as an agent or a regional attorney, as you're called, um, how more, much more has your role in become more important to the players with the expansion? Because everybody sees the light at the end of the tunnel for full contracts and full-time players. How role, how is your role improving? Yeah, I, I think it's every season changes, Teddy. I think mm -hmm. there were, you know, when I, I think I first started doing this maybe about 10 years ago and even in that 10 years, which isn't that long of a time in the growth or ups and downs of the sport, I've seen it change yearly. Some mm -hmm. years, uh, when, when you're right, when there are expansion or contraction, uh, you know, the market dictates uh, opportunities for guys, uh, salary, both increases, decreases, and then, then now with, with more expansion and more expansion on the horizon, I think there are more opportunities for more players. And so, again, I don't want to pump my own tire or anything, but I think, like, there is a lot of, of I don't want to say not the right knowledge, but lack of knowledge out there that 
I speak to some younger players and they're like, oh man, I didn't even know I could do that. Whether that be asked for something in their contract or even what being a restricted free agent means and like what options a person has as an unrestricted free agent. As a practice player, there's a new, uh, you know, there's a new kind of form of practice player that's been evolving over the years I've been in, involved myself and like how that works now it's it's kind of complicated and a lot of players don't really realize maybe all the time what they're agreeing to or not agreeing to and so mm-hmm. i i think as the league expands and and which it has been that our role not just myself there's several other really good uh guys that that represent the players and i think collectively as the as the league expands our role is going to expand and as we move to closer to full-time players and more more dollars for the players i think every opportunity and every like slot on a team like i'm a righty defenseman and i can see on the horizon that this team might have an older player and that's somewhere i could fit into their system becomes more our role becomes way more important because there's I think, and you can you can see this even whether the expansion draft or our free agents signing on teams that didn't exist two years ago, that there is a lot more player movement, which leads to a lot of different things. You know, increased salaries, uh, as well as many other things. But so yeah, yeah I, I think it's evolving, obviously, but I think it it becomes more important because things become more complicated with more teams and more options and there's more things to think about. And so if nothing else, I always tell guys I represent or want to just call me up and ask me questions that I don't represent. I feel like from doing it a long time now, I've seen so many things and I've learned so many things along the way that I just try and pass on that experience sort of almost like a veteran player. And a lot of the guys I represent who are veteran guys or who now are in coaching, there's a, there's a handful of guys that I represented as players that I love seeing now as coaches or GMs that now I'm dealing with on the other side of the, on the other side of it. And I knew them as like players. So mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of things that myself as well as older players, like know that, maybe first, second, third year, or even someone thinking about going in the draft wouldn't know about. Are and there still, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was, that's just is something that's like a helpful, like, mm. like an assistant to what they're doing. I, I know each team has, you know, PA reps. Um, how much do you think those guys are relaying the intricacies of player contracts to the rookies? Like, because, you know, those contracts are very wordy. There's a lot in them. And like you said, I'm not sure every player goes through and looks at their contract and what is available for them. So as, as, as a rookie that doesn't know, how, what's the best way they can go about finding out everything that they're um, able to get or um, liable for um, or required to be given by their team? What's the best resource for them? Yeah, I mean, the PLPA, is, I think, is very helpful. Um, I, but I, I, in saying, to answer your question, Teddy, I think I don't know how many rookies would feel comfortable calling their 
their their the head of their union to to discuss these things. So I'm going to answer your question in what I think would ha- happen or what would be the most beneficial, and that would be to you know either discuss it with someone on their team who has a regional attorney that could call them up and ask them to then relay it to them, you know, broken telephone, hopefully it mm-hmm. gets the right message to them, or to talk to their PA. Do, do I think all of those guys uh, know, you know, know the collective bargaining agreement down to a T? They're, uh, they're very bright guys. The, the, the more uh, PLPA meetings I go to, the more involvement I've seen. Obviously, there's more teams, but it's not just that. I see like two, three guys from from teams showing up and taking an interest. And I think that's part of, you know, the explosion of lacrosse too, Teddy. I, I think like the younger generation of, of people, they are just taking more of an interest in like, you know, the economics of the game, like things, like you said, like obligations, liabilities, requirements. So, Yes, I would say they could ask their PA rep for sure, but I think like their other teammates too, Mm -hmm. I would lean on. I I assume that happens now. Um, You know, if you're a rookie and you talk to a guy on the team who's in a third year or fourth year, they probably were sitting in the same spot looking through their contract thinking they were reading another language too. So um, I I, I don't want to say that I wouldn't go to the PA uh, rep or the PLPA. I just think realistically the avenue is probably like talk to the guys on your team, talk to your regional attorney if you have one or talk to the guys on your team. One of those guys being your rep. And then if they can't answer that because they have an open line of communication too with the executive of the PA, then, you know, they can find out that answer, I guess yeah. is the long winded way to say it. Are there still a lot of young guys that don't have player reps or, or even guys in the league, young or, young or old? Uh, I, I think there are, but to be honest, Ed, I think it's moving more in the way of guys having reps. I think if you, if you looked at the, uh, you know, like most of the top players, I won't say whether that's like point producing or their salaries, but most of the top players in the league have representation. Right. And I'm right. not, I, I don't know if that, that's a coincidence that, that it's that, but I think that people, if they value what, you know, if they value themselves, they value what I do or what the rest of the regional attorneys do. I think they want, you know, they want to, just like I feel like if you had Nick on the show, like I, I feel like everyone wants lacrosse to be up there with the rest of the sports. I know I do. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously that's better for, for, for the player. That's better for me. If it, if it was up there with NBA and NHL, NFL, whatever, that's better for everyone. And I think the, 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 the question you're asking me about representation that kind of goes hand in hand with everything. Like, I don't think there's one person in the NHL that doesn't have a, a representative. Like, yeah. the NFL, there you see cases of guys where they're like, I'm going to do it myself. And I think, I think the athletes we have in the NLL, they're smart guys. I'm not saying that they can't handle themselves, but I think a, a big aspect of it, of like 
just concentrating on being the best athlete you can and letting someone else deal with whether how good or bad you are as a player and what that is worth in dollars and cents takes a lot of the stress off you as a player. And so I, I know this, this past draft, I think maybe the top 10 picks, I would say the majority had representation. Did they have it and before the draft or did they, do you think they got it after the draft? So how I, I can only speak for myself, but uh, I represented, I think six guys in the draft and I spoke with them beforehand. I told them to, you know, reach out to my personal clients or to other players, ask around. There are other regional attorneys, look into them, like make a decision. Um, I advise them the same as I would advise anyone who didn't go with me, which is have someone look over the contract or when you get your contract, speak with someone about it. And if that's me and you decide you want me to, to uh, negotiate it for you, then we'll go that route. So I would say everyone I represented or I represent now, we kind of had an agreement beforehand, but uh, sort of like the Jerry Maguire down on paper wasn't done until after they received their contract. And we spoke on the phone and I gave them ideas. And so it was after, after I would say the draft officially happened was when we solidified that I would be representing them. But, you know, I think it was pretty much uh, the relationship was started before the draft. Yeah. Who's, who's the GM that you have the best relationship, working relationship with? Oh, that's tough. Um, you, know, you know who I'd like? Listen, I give everyone a chance. I hope they do the same with me. And I think the best relationships are when both both parties can like work something out in an amicable way right that's like any any solution to anything um i've never really had much of a, a you know like a relationship or, or knew much about dan carey before the season but um i had uh, i represent rylan Rees, and i had a really really great um experience uh with him brad self another guy that uh, uh I represent uh, signed there this year. I, I I knew Brad from years of going to Peterborough Lakers game, so I knew him as a player. Like I was saying, Micah Kersey, I represented him. So, um, you know, it was like talking to. It was like yeah, it was it was a different relationship for sure, Ted. I knew I've known him for years. I actually grew up with him, so yeah, I, I've known him for a really long time. So uh, there aren't. There aren't any GMs that I would I would say aren't on that list. It's just the, the most recent guys I can think of that I did de- like decent sized like deals with that was a really positive experience were those three guys. And it's it's funny because to me they're sort of like young on the scene. That's not to say anything uh, you know against. Uh, I'm trying to think who would be the longest any GM. Maybe uh, Derek Keenan or uh, Probably, uh, you know like I, I've had. I've had plenty of deals with every single team. So um, it's not like I'm not picking those guys above the other 10 teams, whatever math, that's probably bad math, whatever (laughs) real bad math I didn't mention. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, I just, I definitely had, uh, you know, positive experiences with those guys this season that might change next season, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe the guys that, 
you know, they were high on this year. Next year, they're going to be telling me like, you know what, that was, I overpaid. I did this, I did that. So if you ask me that question next year, maybe I would, those, I would leave those names off the list. But yeah, um, I do think, you know, I, I, I had positive experiences with them. I don't want to pick one out of those three or one out of any of them that I, I like the most. I like them all. I feel like I have to be political. I like, I like all. Yeah, you don't really want to be pissing off any GMs right now, do you? No. You know what I will say that that's gone, that I'm sad, because I, I really liked after the after our just negotiations or deal was done, just like uh, talking shop, kind of like I do with you with, is uh, Rich List. Yeah. He, uh, he always could make me laugh, and uh, he always, I don't know, he would always try and pry me to like be like, hey, what about getting this guy? Bring him over here, right? I know you want him to sign with my team. And so I, he always made me laugh. So I, 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 miss, I miss having him not uh, in that role, but I know he moved on to, you know, a really great position. So I look forward to next year, I guess, I think it's Glenn Clark now the GM there. I can't remember who, yep. who, became, who took his role over. Yep. So, yeah, I, I look forward to that too. I just, I, I really liked him. He was funny. Um, we had Brad MacArthur on the show a couple weeks ago talking about the Alumni Association. You have been heavily involved in that. Um, what's an update that we can kind of give some of the people who are, are listening that are former NOLers of, of what they can expect from the association, how they get involved, and, and what's the next step? Yeah, yeah. I actually listened to that interview. It was a great interview. And, yeah, so Brad is spearheading – uh, obviously, I, I didn't myself. I wasn't lucky enough or good enough, I should say, to play in the NOL. So I, I'm not an alumni member, but I was asked years ago if what I thought about it. I, I, I represented a lot of guys who are now alumni, and I thought it was a brilliant idea. Um, so currently, uh, the website is up and running. Um, the league, uh, so I, I've done a lot of the background, paperwork, legal work for for Brad and, and the rest of the, you guys, you included. Um, I've had positive conversations with the league. Um, we've worked out kind of where we want to head with uh, an agreement. So there can be a, a bonded partnership. Same with the PLPA. They've been really supportive. So for right now, like what I kind of reached out to my, ex, uh, my retired clients and, and, and Brad and I'm sure his team have been reaching out to is to get, players to actually go to the website, which is nllalumni.com, register, you go to the log on over on the right-hand side, fill in your information. We're collecting a database of, you know, we want to make sure that people, this is something that people want. And then the sort of teaser I will give you on what's like the long-term thoughts or or goal is uh, I, when I was helping Brad do this, I sat down with several of the major leagues, their alumni association to pick their brains and try and get sort of ideas of what works, what doesn't work. So like we can, you know, not make the same mistakes and learn from the ones that that other people did do. And Mm -hmm. from doing that, I was able to talk to all of their partners that they have, whether that be financial partners or um, event partners. And from talking to them, Several, actually more than several, I'd say about 10 to 20 of those partners have decided that they want to be a part of the NL alumni as well. And they're all partnerships that uh, I'm 
I'm almost 100% sure will be okayed by the league because they're not like competitors of the partners that they currently have, which is obviously something we have to be aware of, or not we, the alumni group has to be aware of. And um, all those benefits are going to be passed on to all the players that have become members. And I think one of the goals that is our long-term goal is we want every single, obviously we want every single player who's ever set, set foot on an NL floor to be a part of that alumni group. And we want to have several events yearly and involve guys. And I, my personal part of adding to it is I want all these partners that I created for the alumni for yourself as well as every other player to see the benefits of what they can do. I know the NFL Alumni Association, part of their membership is they have really great access to health insurance. They have all these medical tests that are made for free to any ex-retired athlete, which lacrosse is a a sport as well. And And I've talked to these companies about offering that same thing to our are being the NLL, um, the NLL alumni. And so I, I would say to any player that's ever played who's listening to this podcast, go sign up. And then the great thing, too, is it's not just for players. It's coaches. It's uh, executives. It's anyone who has, wants to support. Like, I'm signed up. I never even played. I signed up as a professional. There's, there's opportunities for everyone to take advantage of the benefits. And, um, yeah, so I, I hope... I hope it grows uh, quickly, and, and over the years, people like yourself are like, man, that, that's a really great uh, organization, and it's doing wonders to help grow the game that kind of we're all so involved in, and I'm happy to be involved in. What's the biggest hurdle, do you think, for you guys, or for us? I, To be honest, Teddy, I think... Unfortunately, just from working too in this league and playing as a young guy, lacrosse and the lacrosse player, I think, and specifically the Canadian lacrosse player, there's a lot of things that people are skeptical about. I, I find a big hurdle is that just the idea and pushing forward something new, the, a lot of the reaction isn't like, oh, this is the greatest idea. I'm like, yeah, I want to be a part of it. How can I help? I'll reach out to 10 guys I used to play with. It's kind of like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Once it gets up and running, let's like see what it's all about. And, and that's hard as one of the creators. I'm not saying I'm a creator. That's the, you know, the player, the retired players, but someone involved in the origins of it, it's hard mm-hmm. because it's like you want to do so many great things and I can see the potential, but none of that will happen without the support of the players. So it's more like getting the message out. I, and which I've been trying to do personally, like I've called or texted or emailed every single player that I've ever represented that has now retired. And my strike rate is pretty good. Most of them have, have, have signed up, but I think that that's an, that's easy because I know them. I have a personal relationship with them. Just like when I'm dealing with a player with Micah Kersey I've been on the other end of the phone talking to this, my client about what he wants for his contract, and Mike's been that person. So when I call Mike in that, in that aspect or when I call Mike to sign up for the Alumni Association, it's different because he's like, okay, if you say that it's a really great thing, I'm all in. Whereas there are plenty, and I mean plenty of guys that 
I probably should have talked to over the years of going to games, but for one reason or another, I just haven't had the opportunity. I don't really know that well or at all, or I've never talked to. And that's like, not a harder sell because I feel like it's something everyone should go and sign up to anyways, but it's a little harder to get the message and get the time to explain like, Hey, you're going to get these great benefits. We're going to do this. We're going to have events. We want to honor guys just like we're doing, uh, they're doing for John Tavares. Like we want to do all these things that I think you guys will collectively be like, this is awesome. I'm going to get together. I'm going to see some guys I haven't seen for a while. It's hard to like push that message through to people you don't know. And I, and I, I'm not claiming I know everyone. I, I don't, mm-hmm. there's, there's plenty of guys out there. I don't. So that, that's, that's a hard thing to maybe touch everyone that you want to be involved when you don't know them personally. One last question back on, on regional attorney life. How hard does it get when you have to sell two guys that are on the same team that are kind of vying for the same role? Yeah, I, I, I admit that that's, that is a hard, it's hard ethically because I want to try, I, I pride myself on giving everyone the same attention, amount of phone calls. I try and get back to as many people and I don't do it great for, for everyone. I, it's funny over, over time you figure out like this guy wants to talk to me once a year when his contract is, is up. This guy wants me to talk to him every day and tell him like, like how I thought about his game or this, that, and the other. And so I think every player is different in that way, but if they're both vying for the same spot, I try and I try and if in this scenario negotiate as if it was just one person and I hang up the phone and I'm negotiating for the other person for that one spot. Now that's pretty difficult because the GM knows that these two guys, or the coach knows that it's these two guys for the same spot. So I think at the end of the day, it's their play that will dictate who gets that spot. But I don't think about it in terms of like, if this guy is willing to take a hundred dollars less, he's probably going to get that spot over the other one. I always discuss with the guys, you know, what's your basement, what's your ceiling, if someone is, and I try and explain that to them, there, there's going to come a day where every person who's the highest paid person now, their play is going to fall off and they have the option to say, no, I still want that amount of money or I'm willing to take less. And that's a decision that is always left up to the player. So even at the, the very first year level contract, that that happens, right? Someone who's willing to play for just the rookie um, amount that they had, the minimum a team has to pay them is maybe financially a better option than someone who's like, hey, I want the rookie, the rookie minimum you have to pay me and some other things. And maybe that goes into the decision-making. Well, not maybe, that does go into the decision-making of a club trying to play under a salary cap. But I don't, I don't, to answer your question, and I know that was long-winded, I don't separate them. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I speak with the GM as if there was one spot for one player, and I hang up the phone, and even if I know that, I feel like I'm pretty transparent with my guys. I don't pretend like there's not one other player. Like, we discuss the other player if it's uh, 
I don't want to throw out names, but I do, I do, I do represent two defensemen who came into the league barely recently are on the same team, um, receive similar compensation packages. And that is a discussion. They, they both, yeah. when I'm on the phone with them, they ask me what the other person expects or wants. And it's, uh, you know, some things obviously are confidential that I speak with just with my clients, but if, if there are terms that I don't think are, or I don't not think I know aren't confidential that we can discuss, I, I try and be as transparent as obviously I can with each client. So obviously there's some things I can't discuss, but I, I try and make it that every single client gets the best of me that I can, can offer, even if they're going to the same spot. I feel like every person, all of these guys, yourself included, understand in professional sports it's it's more about your play that that keeps you or gets you on the team than it is what you're making until what you're making becomes prohibitive for a team to keep you right so it's it's a balancing act but yeah i try not to separate them i don't think that's fair to the guys that's beautiful buddy i appreciate it that was fantastic great stuff yeah, thanks for having me, Teddy. It's always a pleasure. I love listening to you uh, call the games. Um, was jealous. I've seen you kind of gone to some cool places recently. Um, so keep it up, man. It's it's awesome that you're still uh, still beating at the drum here in this league. You do a great job, and and all you guys that put in put in the time and effort, man. I, I appreciate it always, and I look forward to seeing you at the next draft, if not sooner. There is Chaka Bainbridge, player. Rep regional attorney for the Stars. Interesting just to hear him talk about going into negotiations with general managers when you're dealing with two guys that you represent on the same team, pushing for the same role, asking for similar money, and some of the intricacies and deviance and differences between the contracts and how it works. And it's always interesting to see which guys use regional attorneys and which guys don't. Uh, I remember Jody Gage, who was my GM back in Rochester my first two years, and I had a player or a regional attorney. He said that he always preferred guys that were able to negotiate on their own. He didn't really like dealing with regional attorneys. He liked players that had the confidence to come in and sell themselves. Now, I think that's a bit of an old-school mentality from Gager. But still, there are guys that are maybe unaware, especially some of the younger guys, about what a regional attorney can do for you in those negotiations. Some guys aren't good at selling themselves, and they would rather someone do it for them. And like Chaka said early in the interview... Having the ability for a player just to focus on what you do best and not have to worry about negotiations and contract talks and perks and premiums and add-ons and all those things lets them be a little more freer in the mind when they got to go out and do what they do best, and that's play the game of lacrosse. Sure, there's probably some guys that have the smarts and wherewithal to be able to read all the pages of their contracts, understand the scope of all the things that they are 
issued and can obtain and get and and are required to give things like that. Myself and others, not a chance. I couldn't have told you all the things that are in my contracts in some of those years. And to be honest, I think my contract jumped up way too fast for my playing skills and, and my productive productibility in those early years. I was waking, making way too much money when I got flipped from Rochester to Anaheim and then to Minnesota. My, my pay jump jumped, and it shouldn't have. But that's what, a, that's what a regional attorney can do for you sometimes. He can sell your worth better than you're, you're actually worth. So um, I, I love talking to Chaka. I love always his insights. Um, about the industry of being a regional attorney, but also about the Alumni Association, because this is going to be a very big thing for the future. Again, keeping players involved after they are done with the game is something that we need to continually do because we need to keep all those players involved, whether it's just as fans or thoroughly involved in teams. If you played in the NLL, you should have a vested interest in where this game is going now because you were a part of getting it to where it is. So thanks to Chaka for stopping by, as always, and giving us some time from his home in Florida. Before we get to Billy D. Smith, let's uh, break down these Week 13 games for you. Uh, your Game of the Week Friday Alterna Cup matchup, a smash hit. Toronto-Halifax, a battle for number one in the North. At the start of the season, who had that as a line that was going to be uttered? Halifax, Toronto, on the Maritimes, in the Maritimes, on the Maritimes, on Long Island, on the Maritimes. Let's go with it. That is going to be a hell of a lacrosse game. Free for all. On Twitter, Facebook, and BR Live. It is a 6 p.m. Eastern time game, so set your watches accordingly. I get a 3 o'clock matinee tomorrow. This is going to be phenomenal. Um, I think Halifax has a bounce back. I think they're going to be in tough against that Toronto Rock squad, but I like Halifax to take that one. San Diego, Vancouver at San Diego. Sorry, Saturday, Vancouver at San Diego. Now remember, this was supposed to be the game on the Miramar Air Base. That has been changed to Pachanga. It will be a 2.30 p.m. Eastern time game, which is, quick math, 11 a.m. Pacific time. They had to move this game because uh, the Air Base, I believe, was being used as a safe spot or a landing zone during this coronavirus outbreak. And so... They basically shut the base down and they will not allow the NLL to go there. It's a big loss for the National Lacrosse League because I think this was going to be a monumental event. Vegas was incredible. But what this game at Miramar was going to do for the optics of the National Lacrosse League was going to be insane. The first ever outdoor game. They were building a turf floor on the tarmac. They were going to have flyovers and all of it. Everything was going to be insanely crazy. And it's real unfortunate that it had to be moved, but I completely understand why it was moved. For the safety of everybody involved, it was the right decision. So that game's at Pechanga, uh, 11.30 local time. So get up, 
kick your feet up and watch some early afternoon lacrosse on Saturday. Calgary at Georgia, the return of the MVP, Dane Doby. Does he give Calgary enough of a boost? Oh, by the way, I think San Diego, if they, if, caveat, if San Diego starts Nick DeMoot, I'm taking San Diego. If Frankie's in the net, give me Vancouver. Back to Calgary and Georgia. The return of Dane Doby. You heard him on the show last week. He is fired up for this contest. He has been waiting for this game. And he had to wait essentially three months to get back on the floor with his teammates. Can he do enough to push them over the top against Georgia? I think they can. I think it's going to be one heck of a matchup. I like Calgary to win that game. And Dane Doby to put this team on his back and help move them forward. Help them continue to push for a playoff spot. They're three and four right now. They've only played seven games. Okay. This is, we talk about the unbalanced of this schedule this year. Dane Doby got suspended the first game of the year and has been out ever since. It's been three months since that first game. Jesse King has been out since their fourth game against Philadelphia. That game was before the new year. I think it was December 28th. I can't remember the exact day. So we are now at February 20th. The Calgary Roughnecks have played three games this entire new year. How do you get any sort of momentum or chemistry or cohesion going with your group when you've only played three times in an almost two months? It's mind-boggling. Saskatchewan was the same way. They're playing 13 games in 12 weeks. This unbalanced schedule will eventually balance itself out. But there is still a large discrepancy between Colorado, who's played 11, and New York, sorry, New England, Saskatchewan, and Calgary, who've only played seven. It's remarkable that this schedule has worked out the way it has. I think they need to fix it in the coming years. But again, expansion will make that change. As we add more teams, the bye weeks will change. Teams will be playing more often. And hopefully we won't, teams won't go a month and a half with only playing three games. I just, when I looked that up, I wanted to see how long it had been since Jesse King had been out. And it's been a month and a half. And they've played only three games. Mind-boggling stuff. Uh, Rochester at New England. That one as well, a 7 p.m. Eastern start. I just, I I think Rochester's got to run with Ryland Hartley after the performance he gave them against Vancouver a couple of weeks ago. New England needs a bit of a bounce back game from Doug Jamison between the pipes. I like New England at home. They are a team that needs to start winning games. But you can never take this Rochester team lightly. They are a very talented expansion team. I just don't think they have enough to beat New England. Saskatchewan at Philadelphia. This 
is going to be another beauty. We kind of talked about it off the top of the show. And I'm still torn on this game. I don't know who I want to take. I kind of want to take Philly at home because they have such great momentum and they've been playing so good at home. They're 3-1 and one at Wells Fargo. But Saskatchewan is 4-0 and oh on the road, man. I don't think you can say no to that. 4-0 and oh on the road, including that dramatic win over Halifax. I don't like taking the rush because I need them to lose some games so the Mammoth can close some distance. But I'll take the rush over the wings. That one might come back to bite me in the ass, but but I'll take it. Before we get to Billy D. Smith, some breaking news coming through the National Lacrosse League wires as we record. Tyler Digby has been traded from the expansion New York Riptide to the Colorado Mammoth in exchange for two second rounders, one in 2020, one in 2021. The six foot three, two hundred and seventy-seven pound right hander. Has 379 career points in 112 games. This will be his fifth team in the National Lacrosse League. He's had stints with Vancouver, Calgary, New England, and New York. And now, Digger from New Westminster, B.C. via RMU is now a member of the Colorado Mammoth. And the Mammoth needed some size on that right-hand O side. And Digger brings just that. He'll work alongside the likes of Jacob Rue, Ryan Lee, Kyle Killen, and Jake McNabb, who subsequently was moved to the practice roster with the acquisition of Digby. So I would expect to see Tyler Digby in the lineup next week as the Mammoth are on a bye in Week 13. All right, let's get to Billy D. Smith. A longtime National Lacrosse Leaguer who has seen it all, done it all, and won it all. And he has now made the transition to the NLL coaching life with the Halifax Thunderbirds. He runs the back door. He's got some great help alongside him. And he's got one of the best teams going in the National Lacrosse League. And as we've discussed at length, they are involved in a pretty, pretty, pretty wild game in Halifax this weekend. It was absolutely insane. It was, uh, yeah, it was pretty epic. Even, like, I think the biggest part of it was the fans. Like, yeah. at one point when they thought we lost, they gave us a standing ovation for losing. <laughs> you know, the, I've been lucky enough to play, you know, have family and have my back for all those years, and I don't think once they clap for us through. That is a rare sign in pro sports, that, that teams get that, that applause and, and notoriety from their fans. But Halifax is new to lacrosse, and they're just kind of understanding what it's about. That exactly. fan base has, has really taken to the NOL. It's, it's, it's going like wildfire. Um, you know, the first game, we knew we were going to have a pretty good crowd. crowd. They did, uh, you know, did the due diligence with selling the tickets and marketing and whatnot. But, you know, I got to give the boys credit because we've had, like, some really nice come behind, come from behind wins where, you know, we would hear fans tweeting and saying, you got to come to the game. Or, you know, I was at my first game. I'm bringing a bunch of other buddies coming. So, yeah, I, I got to give the guys for, you know, just um, having the backbone to just kind of never never say die and uh, just keep trying every every moment we can. So we knew it was going to catch up to us eventually if we kept, you know, having these slow starts, and, and it did just that. So, 
that seems to be um, a cause of concern for a lot of teams is slow starts. Why do you think teams are getting off to slow starts? Because, you know, everyone says, you know, you should be amped up and ready to play as soon as that first whistle goes. But there's those odd times where the minds just aren't turned on. What do you think was the case this weekend for you guys? You know, I think for us, we... We we're hoping we figured it out. <laughs> we've been we've been kind of uh, gnawing at it for a little bit, you know. And it, it's tough when you have slow starts and then you come back and you win, right? So, you know, you you can bring it to the guy's attention, but you know, I think losing it kind of adds a bigger value to having to fix it. And the reason why I don't know, Craig, I'll tell you, like the guys are fired up, warm up's good. You know what I mean? You know, you've been in the league. It's like sometimes you have a bad warm up and you're playing the best game. You know what I mean, or vice versa. So, we think we we think we figured it out. I don't think I'm going to tell you right now. I tell you Sunday, but uh, but um, yeah, we're definitely going to uh, going to work at it. This is a big game for you guys. Uh, a first place battle in that Northern Division against the Toronto Rock. There are a lot of storylines in the story, but this is a, a rivalry. You know, dates back to the Rochester days. You know all about it. How? How excited are you for for this kind of a matchup and and a game that means a lot in the standings? Yeah, it's uh, it's absolutely huge. It's uh, you know for us it's a it's a huge redemption game. You know um, we had a nice comeback. You know and the clock the clock ran out. We were we were a little bit short, but um, I think this is one game where you know at halftime guys really looked themselves in the eyes and and you know it wasn't good enough and they turned that around. So you know it, it's um, it's definitely been circled on the calendar. I know it wasn't that far back, but. Uh, but it's just, it's huge. It's a division game and the league's closer than ever. You know, even, uh, the new teams are battling, right? So, so yeah, it's, uh, it's as big as a guess. It's definitely our biggest, uh, game of the year so far. How do you like the new divisional alignments? Because I've noticed that it's added a lot more intensity to not just the interdivisional games, but the ones out of the division as well. But this new three division setup has really sparked a league this year. It has, it has. I think it's a good idea. At first, you know, I'm, I'm an old school guy. I don't like change very much. But I think it's only going to help the league, you know, and three divisions kind of letting everybody know the league's going to keep expanding. But again, like, I've been stuck in the East forever, and it seems to always be the hardest division. So, mm-hmm. so you know, we're battling the teams that we've always battled. And, um, you know, it's just a matter of getting out of this division. So, so yeah, I, I like it because it shows, you know, that we're, we're looking forward to some growth. Let's take a little bit deeper look at your team. A guy like James Barclay has kind of bounced around in the National Cross League, hasn't really found a footing. But you've been able to find something in him that has made him a regular guy for your group out the back door. How impressed have you been with his improvement over the year? Very, very impressed. He was like an absolute study. He came into camp so correct. And he's just a smart, smart kid. A lot of people don't know he's a, he's a legit um, long stick midi in, uh, in the PLL too. So, and he brings some leadership. He he seems, I keep forgetting how old he is. I keep treating him a little bit older. But, uh, but yeah, he brings a lot of leadership. And, he's, you know, he's a guy that's always in the right position. And he's always there to help, too, right? So so the guys love him. Um, he's a little quiet assassin. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with the kid. I never even heard of him before until you know, last year. So he's one of those guys that you're, you're, you're pretty lucky to have. Absolutely. And then another guy is Scott Campbell. And everybody knows. Scott Campbell is a warrior, and he's been through a lot. I was with him in Minnesota when he broke his leg. Uh, oh, yeah, A.J. Shannon. Yeah, A.J. Yeah, <laughs> Shannon. And, yeah, and right that could have been a Gross. career end. And, yeah. and he's been able to, to fight, fight his way back. He spent some time in Toronto and Saskatchewan and Rochester, and, and now he's yeah. with you guys. 
and he is one of your leaders, if not one of your biggest vocal leaders on the back end. How important yeah. is it is it to have a guy like him out the back? It's it's amazing, you know. And in saying all that about Soupy, I think he's by far having the best season he's ever had. Like I've played against the guy my whole life. I got to be teammates with him two years ago and for two games last year. But um, he's actually playing the best he's ever played. And, you know, which we're hoping we can have him until he's about 44. <laughs> you know? so, but for just the leadership, he kind of knows. And, you know, we can lean on him, you know, when we need to go in there and scream at the guys, you know, and then kind of like the feeling, the tone. He's always kind of, you know, says it and does it, you know, when we're not even in the room. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's like having another coach, right, on the floor. I know this is probably a pretty basic answer because there's, or maybe it's not that basic, but what makes Graham Hossick so good? And what secrets did you tell him about shooting? <laughs> well, I didn't tell him so. <laughs> I think I've been like 0 and 50. Um, Hoss is just, he's an absolute beast. And you know, the best part about him is he's, he's so hard on himself too. You know what I mean? Um, I, I just, I, I don't even know what to say about him. He's just an absolute piece he's a we call him a bit of a robot you know yeah and he like he can get better too that's the best thing is me as a coach i'm looking at him and i'm like man he hasn't even reached his full full potential and he realizes that about himself you know a lot of guys his age when they get the accolades that he's gotten they think that there's nowhere to go but he realizes that you know he can actually get better and he comes off and like if something was his fault and you know someone says sorry to him he'll be like no 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 that was me that was my bad so he's a guy that's always going to want to get better, and he kind of reminds me of, you know, a guy like JT or even like the Kersey, like guys that just are never happy. They always want to get better, and I think that's that's what really makes Graham special. And the kid can score. And, <laughs> and, and the kid can score, yeah. It's ridiculous. It make, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And he's so patient around the net, you know, so he just kind of outweighs goalies. And he even has the soft hands to grab a rebound off a shot that he took and played in the back of the net. Exactly, exactly. Uh, you got two really good goaltenders in Warren Hill and Pete Dubinsky, and obviously Warren has been your number one guy uh, for most of the year. Pete came in and allowed you guys to settle down and, and get into overtime. But two young goaltenders isn't always a secret to success in this league. Right. Warren has really shown that he can carry a load. Yeah, Warren is like the most zen human being I've ever I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, they, a team could bang four on us, and he'll come down. He's just, you know, he's the calmest goalie I've ever seen. You know, he'll he'll give us a little tip, but he's just like, you know, relax, guys. Like, they're going to score, you know. So he kind of settles. He even settles me down, which is you know, not too easy to do. Mikey's laughing at me. Um, and and Dubinsky, like, talk about him, you know. He's a goes in, and, you know, he doesn't, you know, what, it was 12-9 when he went in? It, it wasn't a pretty situation. They scored three right off the hop. And then he comes down and we go on a huge run. So not many goalies are going in that situation to get three put on them and even give us a chance, you know. Yeah. So, And the, the, the biggest thing is they play two complete different styles, which I Absolutely. think is huge, right? Dubinsky's probably, he might be faster than Dallas Elliott. He's, you know, he's a give-and-take guy. So you never know what, he, what he's up to, you know. So, so yeah, I think we're, we're very blessed in the, in the goaltending position. For sure. One one of the cool things I like about your guys' bench staff is you have you have guys that have been journeymen throughout this league, have won at all levels, but are still very new to the coaching game. How have you guys adapted to new coaching styles and this new idea of being NLL coaches? Yeah, for me, it's just kind of 
going with what I know. You know what I mean? Obviously, the league's changed a bit. It's not as rough and tough as it used to be. Um, but for me, I'm just like I'm just doing, you know, trying to put them in a place to succeed is what I would want as a defender. You know what I mean? And I got Roger Kreiser, who's kind of, you know, he's been around, he's been coaching for years, been around the game for years. I got him helping. You know, I got Mikey staring at me, giving me a dirty look when they bury one on us. <laughs> so, yeah, for me, and I got, you know, Mike, Mike I was a little concerned coming just because it's guys I've, I've played with, right? Yeah. How are they going to pursue me telling them what to do? And right from day one, they're like, hey, listen, like we got your back. You know what I mean? Guys like Soupy Jammer, you know what I mean? So it made me feel comfortable. So, you know, I have no problem saying my piece and sticking by, sticking with my guns, right? So, yeah, and I, you know, I love it. I, I like the the way the game's going, minus the physicality. I think it can still be a little bit more physical at times, but uh, it is what it is. And I just got to adapt with it. Who yells more on the bench, you, Mike, or Chad Culp? <laughs> Who yells more on the bench, me and you? It's definitely not Kofi. No. He by far, he says. But I'm a motivator. <laughs> I'm a motivator. That's why. <laughs> yeah, me by far. Yeah. Um, before we let you go, obviously, you guys are you know, en route to the airport and you got a big trip to Halifax. But uh, it is Black History Month, and, and you are one of a handful of black players that have, that have had success in this league. And in talking to a lot of guys, they always said when they were young, they didn't really have a – a person of color to look up to in the game of lacrosse. And, and now the game continues to grow. What does it mean to you to be maybe, you know, a, a, a father figure or a leading voice for, for kids growing, growing up and, and wanting to play this game that may never had the chance? It means, uh, it means a ton. It's, it's, it's the ultimate, you know, respect or compliment or, you know what I mean, to just uh, haven't been there and done that and have people look up for me. You know, I was lucky enough, my older brother, Jason Luke, played you know, in Buffalo seven years before me. And I got coached by Steve Finnell. So I got to, you know, come up watching those guys, you know, and trying to, trying to be just like those guys. And my little cousin, Dane, from behind me, you know. So it's just one of those things where, yeah, you want to see more more of them in. I kind of live in a spot in Canada where there's not too many of us. <laughs> but um, it's nice to see, you know, guys like Kyle Harrison doing their thing, you know, giving respect to the guys that came before him and so on and so forth. So, if anybody has any need, need someone to help with the camp, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Telling yourself that's perfect. There you go. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, it travels to the airport and to Halifax. Best of luck this weekend. Thank uh, you, sir. Stay out of the crew for me, and uh, we'll, do. we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, brother. All right, man. Get out to Halifax, brother. I'll uh, talk to I'm you looking soon. forward to it. I'm going to get there, brother. I promise. I promise. All right. Take care. Okay, but cheers. Bye. My good buddy Billy D. Smith. What an absolute character. Love chatting with Black D3 and love hearing him just talk about the lineage in his family of black players coming through the National Lacrosse League. Jason Luke, Fennell, himself, Dane. There's just a, a cool little familial tie that's come out of Ontario with that group. And like he said, there's not a lot of black players in his insane kits. There's a growing number in our sport. And there are a growing number of guys that continue to do their part to get more players playing our game. And they are great role models, great leaders, great idols 
and just great people all around that know that there is a hard road ahead. They know what it takes and they're doing all they can to help others achieve their goals. So it's big thanks to Billy D. Smith for stopping by and giving us some time as he and No Mercy Mike Kersey were on their way to Toronto International Airport for their trip out to Halifax. They will take on The Rock in the NLL Game of the Week Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. 3 p.m. for all of us fancy folks on the West Coast. So a little bit of afternoon lacrosse tomorrow. And again, that game is free on BR Live, Twitter, and Facebook. So make sure you sit down, put your feet up, and check out that game. It's a battle for the NLL North Division first place seat. And that game could go a long way because, if you remember, Toronto beat Halifax earlier this year already once. So this could be a season win, series win. For Toronto, which would give them a massive tiebreaker if these two teams stay as close as we predict they will. Five games on the docket this weekend. It all starts Friday, Toronto at Halifax, then four on Saturday. 2.30 Eastern, Vancouver at San Diego at Pechanga, and then three games, 7 o'clock Eastern time. Calgary at Georgia, Rochester at New England, Saskatchewan at Philly. Of course, all games available on BR Live, so make sure you sign up and get your subscription while the season still continues to heat up. Thanks to Billy D. Smith, thanks to Chaka Bainbridge, and as always, thanks to you, the loyal listener, for sticking by us each and every week. If you want to get a hold of me at the show, you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Enjoy the games, everybody, and as always... Be excellent to each other. I am an alpha.